Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I am excited about our guest today. We've had some collaborations that I can't wait to um, talk about and, and get some advice. But give us an idea of who, who we're talking to and what to expect. Well, I think today we have to say go Knights charge on. We have one of our great colleagues here from the University of Central Florida with us um, and is an expert uh, in the area of speech language communication and has a background in special ed. So we'll consider you a, a double thread, a triple thread, uh, and also a very good friend. So Jackie Townsend, you want to give us a quick intro and of who you are? And then we've got some questions to help our listeners think about practical ideas. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you both for um, having me here today. It was a really exciting opportunity. Um, anytime we can share good information with parents, it's a, it's a, it's a good day. So um, I, um, as you said, I'm a duly certified um, speech language pathologist and early childhood special educator. Um, I kind of came by that honest. Um, I, I love language and I love immersive language opportunities and I found that as an SLP sometimes that can be a little challenging. Um, so I went ahead and got my teacher certification so I could work in a classroom setting. So I did that um, one of those two roles for about 14 years in the public schools, mostly in preschool, spent some time in assessment and administration, got a little crazy, got my PhD, here I am at UCF. Um, yeah, and so now I'm the graduate program director here and an assistant professor. Thanks, Jackie. And I'm excited because uh, Jackie and I are currently working to put together an undergraduate program that kind of builds on her strength uh, and adds in our, our ex-ed side so that our graduates would leave with a, a language disorder certificate as a part of our undergraduate program. And I know that our, our goal, um, Jackie, when we were thinking about this is, is to make sure that educators and parents have access to some pretty high level content when it comes to communication. I think it's something that we, underestimate the importance sometimes. So just as, as a professional, what kinds of things do you see that, that parents or teachers of, of young kids struggle with when they come upon a, a communication difficulty? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a big question to start off with. So <laughs> big questions today. So I think, um, you know, in my clinical experience, you know, the common thread often is, you know, kids have um, what, what parents might refer to as a speech problem. I really is a language problem coming up with the words. And I think that, um, as you said, it's kind of a, a thread amongst a lot of children with disabilities um, where they, you know, might have a problem expressing themselves or understanding things that are said. And so I think sometimes parents and teachers are sort of at a loss. Like if, if my child isn't talking or they aren't able to understand what I'm saying, kind of how do I engage with them in the way that I might engage with other children that I'm more, you know, have more typical language trajectories. So I, I think that that's kind of the, the most common problem maybe that, that comes up. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good point. And do you, you know, all of us on the on the podcast have children, and I don't know if your own children. When my kids were little, I had a little bit of trouble distinguishing um, what was actually a speech or language issue. So, um, what is the overlap, or is there any? You know, if my kids don't pronounce certain letters the right way when they're young, you know, what's the difference between that type of thing and a language disorder? 
That's a great question too. In fact, I was just developing some online content for one of my courses and my one of my pages was titled language is not speech and other important things you need to know. Um, so that's a really common misconception. Um, speech is really the motor skills, the actual, you know, where your brain is telling your mouth, your tongue, your cheeks, your lips how to form sounds to create words, but language is really broader than that. Language is any kind of communication. It could be sign language, gestures. We use a lot of um, communication with our facial expressions, um, but language is, is that oral, oral part of communication. And it can also be sign because we, we do know that sign language is a true language. So one of the things I was kind of wondering is, you know, we've ventured this world of, uh, Zoom, uh, Adobe, Google, uh, Microsoft Teams, let's see if I can get all those labels in there. Uh, what do you see as the challenges or advice maybe for teachers, for kids who may be hesitant to speak, um, even in a brick and mortar setting that might be helpful or any thoughts of how we address that better in an online environment? Because I do think that's a challenge a lot of the teachers, especially at the secondary level, since you, you all have high schoolers and I'm just past that, you know, that kid who just says, A, I can speak, but I choose not to, or B, it's hard for me, period. What, what are some thoughts in the online world? Any suggestions for teachers? Yeah, I think online is presenting, you know, a unique set of circumstances we never thought we'd find ourselves in. Um, so I would say it probably depends on the age. Um, my favorite answer is it depends. Um, so when we're thinking about older children, you know, it, it, you can pro always provide choices. I think anything where you can, you know, give kids an interactive opportunity. Um, you know, I, I learned with my own teenagers that asking, you know, how was school today? I think this is a pretty classic example right fine you know and so then I learned to ask this in fact I did this when they were little you know what's some what's one thing special that happened at school today um, and then I'm kind of demanding a sentence rather than one word so I think a lot of it is in how you phrase questions to students or or your own children especially if they're older and, and are kind of choosing not to talk um, as far as if they have difficulty communicating, I think looking at different modalities of communication, luckily a lot of these um, online platforms, and you did a great job naming most of them, I think, have a chat feature. Um, you know, they can, there's a, sometimes a whiteboard feature where, you know, even they could write on a whiteboard still and hold up, you know, responses. I think a lot of the things we do in traditional classrooms still really translate nicely to the online platform. Yeah, and then I, I was curious, you know, you, Becky asked a great question, and it, I kind of thought about it in a different way. One of our guests mentioned to me that when this guest was young, um, didn't speak at all, and today is beyond brilliant. <laughs> when, when do we start to, or how do we better identify when the lack of speech or communication, facial, body, uh, I think with the rise of autism and all of that, what, what, beyond talking to a speech therapist and a pediatrician, what at home should we be thinking about or being aware of? Do we compare to peer, you know, same age children, uh, boys do different than girls? What, what's some of your general advice for those parents <laughs> like me who worried too much probably um, as our child was growing up? Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, the guideline that is easiest for me to remember is one year, one word, two years, two words. 
Um, and that's a pretty easy thing to kind of get in your head. And what I mean by that is by the time a child is one year, they should be using single words, even just a few of them. And by the time a child is two years old, they should be putting two words together. Really by three years, three years, three words together. It kind of falls apart after that, but it's a good guideline to start with. And I think you mentioned something good. I think there's a big difference between a child maybe not using words quite by one year. Neither one of my kids, by the way, used um, one year, one word by one year because I think they knew I was a, a professional in the field yeah. and I needed to worry. Um, but there's other things you can look for. Are they gesturing? Do they wave bye-bye? Do they, if you say, where's mommy or where's daddy, do they point to familiar people in the room? Sometimes we're more concerned when, it, when a child can't understand what's being said to them than if they're actually using language, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of kids, not maybe not a lot, I don't want to generalize, might have a harder time speaking than they do understanding things. So if you see multiple red flags, not understanding your directions, um, and parents and teachers are good communicators in that they give kids lots of cues. We do lots of pointing and facial expressions, but kind of remove some of those things and see if they still understand you. That's a good test of whether they're comprehending language. Um, and that's a bigger red flag than if they're not talking. Well, and I think as teenagers, and then I'll throw it back to you, Becky, you know, gesturing is overused is all I will say. Uh, <laughs> words I can agree up, with that. I think they go backwards, three words, two words, one words, only gestures. But again, for those of you who have teenagers at home, I thought I'd add a little humor there. <laughs> well, Jackie, in our effort to keep it practical, um, can you share, like, you know, we've talked a lot about, about what to look for as parents, and we've talked about kind of some of the things, the, the early indicators, which I think is all really interesting and helpful. So once kids do get to school and teachers realize there is a language issue, and even if the child is getting services, you know, what are the very key principles for us to remember or the key thing to try. You've kind of alluded to the idea of this reciprocity, um, you know, language as a, as, as, as a reciprocal process and um, a receptive language. So how do we operationalize that as a, as a teacher or a parent? What's, what's one thing we could try? One thing. Can I, can I give you more than one? I wish you would give us more than one. I was trying. Okay. To okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of thought about just experience of language, um, creating language rich environments. And, and we say this um, sometimes to parents, but it really applies to teachers as well. Talk a lot. Talk about what you're doing. Um, if, it's in, if you're in context, that's really helpful for kids that really are struggling with understanding. If you have kids maybe have a little bit more skill in language, talking about things that aren't present is really helpful. Um, giving children, again, that opportunity to respond. Um, and I, that's tricky. You know, teachers are faced with, well, first of all, right now they're with, faced with online, and, and that's an interesting concept. Um, but even, you know, when you're faced with 25 kids sitting in front of you, giving everyone opportunities to respond is challenging. So choral responding is, is helpful. Um, you know, working in small groups, again, if they're able to write using whiteboards, just any way to engage them in getting language practice and starting with contextualized, meaning what's surrounding you, and then bringing that out to, you know, decontextualized settings. That can be really helpful. I'm also a huge fan, um, no surprise if you know me, of shared book reading. Um, I believe in starting to read to kids, you know, 
pretty much as soon as they come home um, from the hospital and um, and then as they are able to let them participate in those shared book reading experiences by asking lots of questions and it doesn't always have to be around a book everybody has different resources so even if you're going to the grocery store or you know, a convenience store, just talking about the things that are around you, asking them questions and giving them those opportunities. I love that. Well, and you know, I love the fact of just talking, talking to kids because I, I love to talk. Uh, so that's the easy part here. But I also think that, that we do know the more words kids experience, again, the better outcome. And for kids with language issues, sometimes we assume they, you know, they need somebody to speak for them. And one of the thoughts that I would love to hear you kind of take us down the path in is I'm a teacher and I have 25 kids in a room and I have a student with a no language and I want them to make friends. They have inappropriate language, B or C, uh, their language is, you know, just really, really quiet. What, what are some things thinking about that kind of whole plethora of students in the classroom that I should be thinking about for developing peer to peer language? That's kind of the point I was thinking would be helpful. Yeah, you guys ask really good questions. So, um, you know, augmentative and alternative communication systems, you know, are where I would go first for child A, the one that doesn't have communication. And, and the really great thing nowadays is if you own a smartphone, you have access to apps that are readily available. And there's a, a plethora of, you know, kind of what we call low tech. So few choices to higher tech where they're multi-level systems and they can create sentences. You know, probably you need a help, maybe the speech language pathologist give our field a little plug here. Um, but, you know, any, t any way that they can communicate, if they literally don't have a voice, um, and sometimes that's true for all kinds of reasons. Um, we need to give kids a way to communicate. One thing I was taught early on is never assume that just because someone isn't communicating that they can't. Um, so we want to make sure we kind of leave no stone unturned in that, in that respect. Um, I think the next one you said was students got mean words, in a, so inappropriate I, I got language, oh. but nobody wants to hear it. I'm a bully. Yeah, that's that's a little maybe outside my scope. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I taught preschool, so we always said use your kind words, right? Like, um, but I think you know sometimes giving it, it's okay to express emotion, right? And letting kids feel valid in the fact that. Everything doesn't have to be happy and joyful all the time, but maybe there's a better choice of words that we can give them, you know, in those situations that might be a little more well received by their peers and help them continue to have peers. Um, but I think it's, I think too often maybe we shut that down um, because it makes us uncomfortable, it makes their peers uncomfortable, and, and that usually manifests, as you know, in something totally different and not necessarily better. Um, quiet voice do you mean literally like they're just soft-spoken or i just I, I don't really want to talk i sit in my you know that that student who's reluctant speech is there it's not a language issue but but it becomes one because they begin to be isolated and you know sit by themselves from the playground to the lunchroom to the electives when they get into high school because they just don't feel the need to connect and i don't know you know it's not something normally you see the kid to the speech person with but you really do work a lot on language as reciprocal and i wondered what advice you might have for teachers yeah I, again i think it depends on the child's motivation i feel like i own one of those children um, who you know probably knows most of the answers but doesn't doesn't ever want to speak in public um, and then i think sometimes it, it is a matter of referring to the right professionals you know is this something caused by anxiety and you know can we help in that way is it something um, more social, you know, pr 
pragmatic, not to get too technical, but you know, just not understanding how to interact with others. I, I think I think understanding why it's occurring is the first thing you would want to do, um, and maybe that's a one-on-one -on -one conversation you could have with that student in the few minutes you have during transitions or before or after school. Thanks. Great. Great answers. Thank you. Yes, thanks so much, Dr. Towson, for taking a few minutes and, and talking with us today. I, I, I would like to, to wrap up my thoughts, um, encouraging our colleagues, Lisa, who are out there in schools to remember to reach out to your, um, your, your fellow speech language practitioners, expand our thinking about what we all need to be experts in. And that's why we invited Jackie um, here to talk today. And thanks so much, Jackie, for your time. Great. Oh, it's been a ton of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate it. And thanks. And if you have questions for us, please either send them to Access uh, Practical on our Twitter account or our Facebook account, uh, Practical Access. Thank you again for joining us. And we really enjoyed it. Thanks.